It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I am delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. This is the Book Rap Podcast. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. And today we are talking about the It Books of February 2024, coming out a of a somnambulant January. I think that's the only way of putting yeah. it. I haven't seen sales numbers for January, but boy, has it been quiet. It has you know, been quiet. I think front. we were talking yesterday. This is one of the quietest book months I remember in a long time and the quietest start to a year. Maybe, I don't want to say ever in my like literary career, but it's one of the more notable quiet Januaries. Yeah. And as we talked about on the uh, regular news show last week, I think we've both been pu- picking up and putting down a lot of things. Not a whole lot yep. has kept my attention in January. So I'm excited to talk about a new month. Let's get into <laughs> some fresh Yeah, books. I mean, January gave me Beautyland. And that's, yes. that's great. And I'll take one of those. But usually there's two or three things that I feel like I can full throw to re- recommend. And I'm just not feeling that way right now. Luckily, the larder is significantly less bare for February, which we're going to get into in a moment. A couple of programming notes. Um, Rebecca is recording remotely, so she sounds a little bit different. That's why. That's that's a known issue. Thank you so much for not emailing me. Um, you can check out the Book Riot podcast email. We sent, we've sent out two newsletters now, and one of them, and the most recent one, some nice feedback about James Salter, of whom Rebecca is clearly the biggest fan, and <laughs> mention my name at all. It's fine. Um, Listen. There's a link in the show notes to follow up there. I was going to save it for when I write the newsletter in two weeks, but you are not the person who introduced me to James Salter. <laughs> ah, okay, right. I hate well, to burst I mean, your bubble. I just, I, that's what I said. I definitely wasn't the person. I mean, I, I was mm-hmm, factually mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, um, I detected an, a note of, uh, there was some heat coming off of you yeah. in, in that newsletter. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun. So you can sign up over there. Uh, First edition is getting fired back up by the time, no, not by the time this comes out, later this week. uh, A new episode of First Edition, I talked to Jason Snell of Six Colors and Macworld. He's a tech writer and the biggest e-reader geek tech person that I know. So I talked to him about the state of e-reading and e-readers in particular. He's reviewed some like really out there stuff like the TCL Next Chapter 11 Plus, the books 41892. So he's, 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 He's checked them all out. So I talked about, you know, what you might think about if you haven't looked at e-readers for a while, if you've only had a paperwhite since, you know, 2015, what might be out there, the state of e-readers, which is a lot of fun. Got some other stuff coming up there. Check out the Patreon. We did the 25th anniversary of Colson Whitehead, The Intuitionist. That's there now. I have no idea what's next. What's next? I'm not looking at the... Do you know off the top of your What is next? We uh, don't have a bonus recording this week. So, you know, every now and then we take some time off. Take a breather. Yeah, this is an off week, so there won't be a bonus episode. Uh, next week, we'll have a regular news show on Monday. And then for next week's Wednesday episode, you're going to be talking with Jess Pride and I Trisha Haley-Brown, who host our Win in Romance podcast. We're coming into February. We're leaning towards Valentine's Day. It's a good time to talk about romance. And those ladies are awesome. So uh, that'll be a good time for all. 
I uh, was DMing with them this morning, and I said, you know, the subject is sort of, so you want to know more about romance. So it's like mm-hmm. romance for the general kind of interest reader. If you've got a question, you've got 48 hours to get it to me. If you have something you'd like me to ask them directly, um, check that out there. Okay, I think that's enough for now. Let's do our first sponsor break and get into it books. It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I'm delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. Okay, Um, if you happen to be new, what happens here is that I select new books coming out in February, 10 finalists. I create the finalists, um, and they are all vying for the title of It Book of February. It Book being a nebular term that comprises awareness, sales, critical reception, insider gossip, buzz, author profile, topical relevance. All those things get put into the blender, and the nice, even smoothie that comes out is the incontrovertibly correct um, (laughs) verdict that we give um, here at the end of the show. We take them one at a time and then we put them into against each other and one is remaining at the end. I I need to find out if there's a name for this structure. I call it the knockout round, but it's not a round robin. It's not elimination. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Knockout round is the closest thing I have to it. Um, It is, it has that elimination round feeling, but I think knockout round accurately describes. I guess like kind of king of the mountain, right? Like when you were a kid, you played king of the mountain. You'd like run up and try to push that person off and you either push them off or they, and then the next person's maybe I'll call it. uh, It's a real, um, like, um, like if you're in a, a pool tournament, which I don't know why I've reached for this analogy because I've played pool successfully like four right. times in my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, when you're five but, like, foot, what you were good at is pool. Then you were right, those tables, those long shots. right. But my whole body, entire torso, is on a pool <laughs> table. Can you use a stool in snooker tournaments? Do they allow you a step stool? <laughs> I don't know if a stool would help, but I have legit been like on a pool table from at least my hips up to try to do yeah, to I make that. a shot. Uh, it's not graceful, but the the deal where people are like, okay. I got next. Like, I'll play the winner or the yeah, winner plays whoever right. is just next right, in right, line. Right, right. It has that vibe. King to of the it. court, you know, on the basketball. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the blacktop, too. And I, I, I like this mode. It's, it seems right for how vibes based the declaration of what mm-hmm. an it book is in general. Um, and I put them in random order. I put them in a random number generator according to my list and then remix them up. And then sometimes I will adjust. I don't want sort of, um, what's the, the mountain from Game of Thrones to start, because that's not fun. We want to have some interesting yeah. uh, early round things. This one I moved a little bit around, though I'm not, I'm not sure I needed to. We can get into it here. Uh, and off to the race we go. It's a good Let's February. So a lot of these, a lot of these we've, you've heard of in our winter preview draft. Precious few January titles, but several here. Okay. Uh, beginning with a, a twist from someone who's become a stalwart of the commercial romance Industry, genre, niche, juggernaut, I guess, mm-hmm. maybe is probably being more fair to its, its prominence. Um, a writer of beloved in my household, 
And I just learned this term the other day, steminist. Oh, yes. Is this going to be an Allie Hazelwood situation? It is an Allie Hazelwood joint, but she's mixing it up a bit. The name of this book is Bride, and it's a dangerous alliance between a vampire bride and an alpha werewolf. Fun. So kind of getting into the romanticy kind of thing here. We're, we're not in the lab. We're in the, uh, not labs, Labradors, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's not a wolf. But you hear what I'm trying to do here. And it's a love story. And it's got one of these commercial romance illustrated covers. So I don't know that's going to be dark necessarily. It's, it's a little hard from this packaging to know. Is this like more lighthearted wolves and vampires? Is it you know darker is it how mythology heavy is it going to be it doesn't look like it's the beginning of the series um very interesting to see how this uh uh performs sometimes people crossing genres is a i guess a depressant on their sales because they're not getting people want but are you then going to a bigger pond in the romanticy trend will the iron flame fourth wingers Mm-hmm, consider mm-hmm. this in a way they hadn't before. So Bride by Alia Hazelwood is up next. So of course it will advance. But anything you want to say about this book? Yeah, I didn't know that this was coming. I have I just missed this one probably in the pile mm-hmm. of romanticy things. Um, Allie Hazelwood, very beloved. And so I think there's the question not only of will the romanticy people hop on board now that this is she's yeah. kind of going in that direction, but what will her really devoted fans uh, like your like your beloved Michelle, um, what will they think about this? Will they go along for it? Like that is one of the bigger questions is will the established audience for a, a popular author go with them on an experiment? Um, I think there's a, a good chance of it. And I would guess that Allie Hazelwood is going to hold on to the you know sharp feminist sensibility that she usually yeah. writes with and just take them into this genre. I feel like Allie Hazelwood is a comer right now. Like I was, so as we mentioned last week, I was going to go kayaking in a swamp. I have now done mm-hmm. that. And one of the other people on the trip was talking to me about what she reads. And she was like, I, there's this romance author and like all of the characters have like, like they work in medicine or engineering. And I was like, oh, it's Allie mm-hmm. Hazelwood. She was like, yes, I'm reading those books and I'm reading the fourth wing. <laughs> That's like, okay, yeah. now that's an anecdotal like piece of one, um, but I feel like Allie Hazelwood is breaking out of sort of just like general romance readers into broader awareness, and an adventure in romanticy could certainly continue that trajectory. Um, I'm really interested in this. Good for you, Allie you know, Hazelwood. Feb- February 6th, Berkeley Books. I should ask Michelle, because endemically, she is not interested in vampire werewolf stuff. That's mm-hmm. just not her jam. Is the Allie Hazelwood name enough to spin the roulette wheel? Let's see. Well, I like her. I trust her. Yeah, exactly. I can see it going both ways. I'll have to ask her and follow up. I won't remember to do that, but I can at least pretend for a moment like I'm the kind of person that would. Okay. Um, up next, I believe this made into our winter preview draft one of our selections. I'm not sure. But anyway, I at least considered it, I can say. The next up is The American Daughters by Maurice Carlos Ruffin, the description, a gripping historical novel about a spirited girl who joins a sisterhood working to undermine the Confederates. So we've yes. got, it's a, I, I don't think it's historical fiction. I don't think so. I was looking to see if it's based on a yeah. true-ish story. I don't know. Ruffin um, does kind of about, surrealist stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a clandestine society of spies called the Daughters to help black people get out of the South and um, and do some, sounds like, maybe light uh, light sabotage 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, February 27th, a previous book um, came out a few years ago and well-received. I can't remember the, the name of it right now. This is One World, February 27th. The Ones Who Don't Say They Love You, um, which was uh, finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award, which I never read, but I pay attention to those people. Finalist for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize, which if you're trying to pick a second-tier award to win, get the Dayton because it comes with a whole bunch of money. Um, I think there's people out there that maybe would prefer that too. Maybe some of those top-tier awards that don't come with a bag full of money. Anyway, American Daughters, The American Daughters, coming out February 27th from One World Up Against... Bride by Ali This is really interesting. And Ruffin's, uh, I think, most recent book was We Cast a Shadow, which did really well and was also nominated ah, yes. Yes, for yes, a yes, bunch yes. of a bunch of things. So what I've what I'm feeling here is the tension between a really popular author or somebody like really becoming super popular in a genre like Ali Hazelwood and mm. someone who's more of a critical darling by like Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Um, I think there's like NPR interviewee kinds of options there's buzzy potential yeah. for the ruffin um this topic is a little bit more mainstreamy than the topics of the first two books mm-hmm. and people do seem really readers seem like very ready for i'm going to go ahead and call it the colson whitehead and jesmine ward lane of sort of like writing surrealist mm-hmm. elements into america's dark racial history um I don't know, but maybe we're getting like kind of over the novelty of that perspective. I don't, I don't know. This is for a ten and a nine. I'm having a hard time deciding which one to go with. Is it, the, I, the, the very last line here, I think, is interesting because we've talked about this before. Out of um, coming out of the, I guess, the depths of COVID. I don't think we're out of it yet. In the very depths of the Trump administration, there were a lot of homework kind of reading, and mm-hmm. I think we've talked on the show and maybe offline about turning from bummer reads, for lack of a better term. Some of them are real. and so, I mean, yeah. very much this, they're dealing with real issues, but not the biggest fun thing in the world to read. The last line of this is interesting. The American Dollars is a novel of hope and triumph that reminds us what is possible mm. when a community bands together to fight for their freedom. Giving me some Heaven Earth grocery store vibes. Yes. This isn't about, this isn't Let Us Descend, right? Which mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. that I mean, a, a needed voice and an important thing. But in terms of being real readerly and like having word of mouth, those those kinds it's of books need sell. words. They need they need gravitas. They need critical reception. They need people to read it because they think it's important or they're told it's important. And it is. Whereas this kind of book, if it's kind of page turnery, plotty, and feel not feel good, but hopeful and. You know, you get you get to blow up some rebs. Maybe this has a little bit of that going on. Yeah, that's. I think that last line is important. Thank you for calling that out. Yes. And it does sound like I don't know, book club potential, Barnes and Noble or Reese or Jenna yeah. or one of those, yeah. especially yep, in yep, that yep, Heaven yep, and Earth yep. grocery store vibe. So I'm going to give this one to Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Yeah, I mean, I would guess probably the bride will outsell it. Oh, probably. That's, that's not the only factor here, but um, there's some other. Factors that go into it. Okay, next up, coming out next week, week from today, on February 6th, a one million print run mm-hmm. from St. Martin's Press, uh, clocking it at a robust 480 pages. It is The Women by one Kristen Hanna, the doyan of historical fiction centered on women this point i don't think it's even close <laughs> um this is nurses in vietnam 
Kirsten Hanna doing nurses in Vietnam. Do I need to say more, Rebecca? We, we you don't. Know what it's gonna be, yeah. We have a sense of what's going to be. We know what this is going to be, and it's going to sell a jillion copies. It'll sell that million print run, and then it will keep selling. Yep. Whether one of the big book clubs picks it or not, a lot of you know normal people book clubs are going to pick this, though they might wait for its paperback release. Kristen Hanna does very well mm-hmm. in paperback, and and she also tends to get to stay in hardcover for a while before they put her books in paperback because she will sell. This is in that really interesting like crossover zone where serious readers will pick it up and also casual readers mm-hmm. will pick it up. I think we're going to see a lot of Kristen Hanna in airports uh, over the next couple of months. But in terms of like entering the literary conversation, having a zeitgeistiness, she's a known quantity. It's a little bit less exciting. I think this will sell very well, but maybe I'm just feeling spicy. I'm going to give this round to Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Yeah, I mean, there is a point in which authors like this who publish a book every two years and kind of do a similar thing it's not that interesting. Yeah. Right? You I mean, just, it, it, like it, it'll a, be very good and people will like it. But for those of us who follow it very closely, the it being books, we're like, okay, that yeah. kind of makes sense. The consistency is great mm-hmm. for readers. Right. You know, it's predictable that you're going to have quality and something that you enjoy when you pick up Kristen Hanna. But that same consistency makes a book less appealing for it book discussion or zeitgeist buzz or you know any of those kinds of things precisely because you basically know what you're getting there Um, and it's going to be straight ahead she she doesn't really take like twisty turns there aren't genre crossovers it will not be like surrealist or weird or really surprising in any way and that delivers to folks who are looking for exactly that kind of reading experience but it's like she's not in the james patterson zone by any stretch but you're approaching that like james patterson is the most extreme example of that zone where like it is just not news that there is a new James Patterson book it's definitely still news that there's a new Kristen Hanna book but that's sort of all that it is it's like yeah people who want Kristen Hanna are paying attention they will go buy this book but it doesn't make waves in the publishing landscape another piece that's interesting to me about this is I've read The Nightingale and that's it from Kristen Hanna Mm. so and I know people who read The Four Winds I read a little bit bit of Four Winds myself like okay I get it's about the depression Vietnam is a more fraught political environment than the Nightingale said in World War II, which for better or worse has a, we've inherited a ready-made moral clarity about that. Mm -hmm. A romanticizing of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's fair. And then the Great Depression is far enough away and it's not, it doesn't neatly map onto current political polarization. I think with Vietnam, it's going to be interesting how she handles this. Does she play it fairly down the middle? Does she lean one way? Does this? Do these nurses become super critical of the American project in Southeast Asia in the 60s and 70s? Mm. Is it largely uninvestigated and they're just sort of doing what they're doing because and that's its own way? Is it boldly patriotic in a way that you know, it can play can play differently <laughs> to different audiences when it comes to Vietnam. Yeah. So that who's she trying to sell books to is a good question. Yeah, the cover image to this, you know, it has a helicopter over palm trees with red on gold. I'm like, that's that's like a Miss Saigon poster. Yes, um, and Miss Saigon for has, has fallen out of the the loop for reasons I think they're understandable. But Miss Saigon had a point of view, um, and uh, I'd be curious to see if that has that. If you end up reading this, uh, let me know if this is more yeah, born the Fourth of July or more, you know. Killing Ho Chi Minh by Bill O'Reilly or whatever the hell the version of that would be. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, up next, 
couple of wild cards in here. You know, sometimes you want to give a, a an unconventional swordsman a shot at uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts. You don't know. Maybe they'll win for a minute, but it's, a, it's certainly worth to see. Uh, a name from the past. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, she's still around, clearly, but uh, at one point, Michiku Kakutani was the most influential book critic yes. in the world. Um, when she was the head senior, I don't know the title, but she got what book she wanted to write about, and then she picked the the plums. Um, famous enough to be satirized and parodied and pastiched, which is great if you're a book critic, because that is hard <laughs> to get place to get to. Yeah, nobody else, I feel else, like the maybe? great wave, the era of radical disruption, the rise of the outsider, Benchiko Kakutani, is a very strange book. <laughs> and the word saladness of the description <laughs> yeah, has me I've thinking, like, what is going on with this book? <laughs> um, an urgent examination of how disruptive politics, technology, and art are capsizing old assumptions in a great wave of change breaking over today's world. The 21st century is experiencing a watershed moment defined by chaos and uncertainty as one emergency cascades into another, underscoring the larger dynamics of change that are fueling instability across the world. So it's about everything. It's it's like we're gonna we're gonna do a grand unified theory of the mess that we seem to find ourselves in. The uh, the cover. It's a wonderful packaging. It's the great wave of Kanagawa, sort of polarized with some hot pink um, font work. Kagutani is an interesting writer. This feels like if you give a, an opinion writer a whole book to go off what you're gonna get, that sometimes be interesting. I don't know. I, I looked at this. And I'm like, this it seems like a blast. Yeah. I don't know what to make of this book. I don't know what to make of this either. I came across it when I was putting together my list for the draft a couple weeks ago, and it could. I feel like the, there's just really high variance. Like it could be great yeah. because she is a really interesting thinker, but the word salad of the description sounds like there's also potential for this to be like those late night you're a little too stoned dorm room conversations. Yeah. Right. And I'd be surprised if Kakutani ends up like actually feeling that way. But when you are trying to write a grand unified theory of everything, that's a hard task for just about anybody. <laughs> like I don't know who yeah. I would give that writing assignment to, but Kakutani wouldn't have come up on my like top ten or even top fifty list if you were just like, "Hey, who do you want to put out a book mm. kind of like this?" I will be very interested to read some reviews of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, on the other hand, I I do, I am finding myself interested in the perspective of someone who's not extremely online, which she notoriously was. I mean, she was not online before not online was a thing, was a thing, (laughs) was, was a thing. So maybe some perspective, it's only 256 pages. So it is in that, you know, it's it doesn't feel like it's going to be too much, right? If this is 500 pages, like, oh my God, sure. seriously. On the other hand, I don't know what to make of this sentence. Kakutani argues that today's crises are not only signs of an interconnected globe's profound vulnerabilities, but also stress tests pointing to the essential challenges needed to survive this tumultuous era and build more... I, I feel like I understand the words and the phrases, but when you put them together, it's like, here's why things are the way they are and here's how we fix them. I don't know who I believe to tell me that right now. Maybe that's yeah, a sign of my you know, disbelief in big idea changes and someone can do it and I don't know. I don't know what's going on but like it was enough for me to like, wow, this is an interesting document and it probably will be a mess, an interesting mess or a boring mess. Um, I don't see yeah, a way which is it's- watertight, which is cool. I don't mind that. 
It's hard to accurately outline the mess from inside the mess. Yes. And yes. and some of those ideas that like these are these crises are connected. They represent stress tests on our systems or on our way of understanding the world. Like also not a new conversation. I'd be interested in finding out like when did she write the proposal for this book? When was most of mm-hmm. it put together? Because we've had a lot of this, especially in the last year with year plus with AI coming out of like, here are all of the sort of connected kinds of disruptions. Here are all of the systems that this form of technology could attach itself to. In the political realm, it's like, here's what's going on with the rise of authoritarianism around the world, not just in the US, but really over the last eight years, Mm -hmm. all over the place, leaders in the US, leaders in the UK, we're seeing it in South America and in Europe. And those are just a couple of examples. Like you can pull a bunch of these things and say, like, this isn't unique. It's happening in a lot of places. I think that's true of almost any time in history. Like there's simultaneous <laughs> discovery. There are trends in the in the ways that the public leans. There are trends in the ways that politicians are trying to appeal to people and do things. Technology develops in fascinating and scary ways. And like it certainly feels like it's out over its skis right now. But I don't know that like a generation of humans has ever existed that didn't feel like they kind of got out over their skis at some point. It's just like, what's your flavor yeah. <laughs> of it? I think you're right. This is going to be a mess and it'll either be an interesting one or just a confusing one. She's She'll certainly get media attention. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure we're going to see her all over the place doing interviews for this. The thing well, I'm going I don't to be, know. I mean, I guess on the other well, hand, I don't know. Yeah, the highbrow stuff. Like, she'll be on NPR. Um, but she doesn't do that. She never has. She yeah, never but she's got to promote a book now. you got to sell maybe, that baby. Maybe she signed it for a low five-figure advance with Crown. I don't maybe know. Maybe that's true. Uh, I'll be watching for things like, does the New York Times or the Washington Post review this book and issue an opinion on it? Or do they just run a profile of her, which is often a signal of like, we don't want to say mean things about this book, so we'll just run a profile (laughs) of the author. Um, Mm. I am going to stick with Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Okay. Up next, uh, coming on February 13th, um, I think... Sort of ironically, if not ironically, at least commenting on a Valentine's Day-ish release. (laughs) It's The Book of Love by one Kelly Link. Um, This is her debut novel, but a supremely accomplished short story writer, Pulitzer Prize finalist, sold a bunch of books. Um, A magisterial, I think is how I will charitably call the 640-page runtime. (laughs) The uh, the it comes in at a dimensions of zero point zero by zero point zero inches and zero point zero pounds. So p- clearly the um, the physical stuff has not made it into the the, the, the Baker well, and Taylor or Ingram uh, population uh, populated into there yet. It sounds to me like a multi-perspective story of friendship and romance and family. It feels like a conventional-ish story, like a familiar story. It feels like Franz in territory, but it's not going to be because it's Kelly. Right. It may be in terms of theme or setting, but in terms of execution, I just can't imagine. I don't know what this is going to be. Yeah. Like, there's supernatural stuff that gets involved in here. It's going to be strange. There's going the strange is going to make an appearance. It's going to knock. It it'll will. bring a glass. It'll bring a bottle of Chardonnay and make itself comfortable here with Kelly Link. But I don't know how to um, 
anticipate this, which to me is wonderful. Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward me to this. Do I wish it was too. 240 pages? Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Will I read it anyway? You bet your sweet puppy. I will. Yeah. Listen, I love Kelly Link. I am so excited to see what this is going to be. I, I also wish that the page count were not what it is, but we read a lot of chunky books last year, and this will be the first one of the year. I'm really counting on her to make it worth it. Um, this morning, I got I subscribed to Emma Straub's Substack, and the headline was, the best novel of 2024 is coming out in two weeks, and I'm going to tell you what it is, or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was this. Emma Straub just loves this book. And decided to send an email about it. Um, I was already stoked, but reading you know, her perspective on it, what the book is about, um, she certainly doesn't have to issue opinions about books no. uh, if she doesn't want to. And I'm sure that as a seasoned novelist, she's experienced with reading things that, by friends or by people she admires and being like, oh, that's not very good. I'm just not going to say anything. So I will trust her that this is a genuine review. That's encouraging. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think... If this is good, it's going to be really, really good. She's lived in yes. that short story zone for so long. And short, like a good short story writer can get so much done in 10 or 15 or 30 pages. And Kelly Link certainly knows how to do that. So like, can you manage what happens when you have to spread out a story over especially 650 pages? Will there be mm. too many things in it? That's possible. She's got a lot of ideas and a lot of tricks. And like deploying them skillfully and carefully across that many pages is a real, that's just a real test. This is going to, I'm so interested. This is knocking out Maurice Carlos Ruff and Kelly Link is going to proceed here. I can't wait. Maybe we should do a Patreon yeah, episode I, about this. I'll um, make it, we'll, we'll check out the February a dizzying, schedule. A dizzying dream ride you will never forget. That's Lee Bardugo's blurb. Kelly Link is our greatest living fabulist by Carmen mm. Maria Machado, who knows from fabulous. So, you know, take blurbs for what they're worth. Um, I think I will actually get this in a physical copy. If I'm going to do 640 pages of Kelly Link, I'm going to sink into it. I'm going to make it a... <laughs> A tactile experience yeah, here. I have started doing a thing where like I will read these big long books on my iPad and then go get the hardcover because I like want to have it if it's something that mm-hmm. I really liked. Um, and I think I'll probably go that way. I don't know if I want to tote around 650 pages of of hardcover until I'm sure. Uh, but I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. The next one is almost a pure hipster buzz pick. Um, from me, something to include here. The name of the book is Greta and Valden by Rebecca K. Riley. Mm -hmm. The book came out in New Zealand last year. The comps are for fans of Schitt's Creek and Sally Rooney's Normal People, which is (laughs) very, very fascinating to see. (laughs) An irresistible and big-hearted international bestseller that follows a brother and sister as they navigate queerness, multiracial identity, and the dramas big and small of their entangled, unconventional family, all while flailing their way to love, um, I like this. I, I I'm I like this, right? I like this idea. That's I like you know, something coming international. It's got some track record, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the anglophone world, 350 pages from Avid Reader Press. This comes out next week as well, February 6th. Probably not going to knock out Book of Love, but I yeah. like to include something that you know. Maybe we've got a new voice. Maybe this is something that's going to be tote bags 
um, across the five boroughs and, you know, <laughs> other places uh, alongside. Here. I, have you heard anything about this? I have, yeah. I had this on my yeah. long list from draft okay. research for that same comp. The, the Schitt's Creek meets Sally Rooney yes. comp is just incredible work by someone there at Avid Reader Press. You're correct. It's not going to knock out Kelly Link, but I'm thinking maybe I should just go read this now because if it's really good and I don't read it before everybody starts carrying their tote bags, oh, I won't yeah. get to it for 20 years. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, Kelly Link can carry on, but I'm glad you threw in the hipster pick here. Okay. Um, Our second foray into nonfiction. I believe I picked this in the winter draft. Coming out February 27th from MCD, which is the Mm, slightly weirder imprint of FSG. Um, This is Grief is for People by Sloane Crosley, um, Mm -hmm. who is an accomplished essayist already. Um, a very funny person. Uh, very, I, I recommended to a friend one of her earlier books and really enjoyed it. A, a slim 208 pages. This is her memoir about loss, um, especially about losing her closest friend to suicide, trigger warnings. Um, someone she worked with. You and I both like a workplace friendship, mm-hmm. co-workers, colleagues, um, that particular thing that can happen and, you know, has its own boundaries, but it's also also potentialities. And this is about the loss of that. Um, grief memoirs can be a hard sell, except when they come become giant bestsellers. Yeah. This happens from time to time. And, um, you know, Blue Nights or When Breath Becomes Air. You know, these things can strike a chord. I wonder if we're ready for a well-written, beautiful, moving, thoughtful grief memoir. I think yeah. we could be. I think we could be public. too. And as you mentioned, Crossley is really funny, and that really helps. Um, there's some precedent for this. Nora McInerney's two books about losing her husband, The Hot Young Widows mm. Club and Terrible Thanks for Asking. Uh, and she hosts, <laughs> she hosts a podcast by that same name that I've listened to a few episodes of. So she's also very funny and writes about this like very serious, very sad thing in a way that's you know, human and accessible. And I think grounded in the ways that we experience grief, or at least like in my experience of grief or loss or something really difficult, you have this very like sharp, pure pain, but we are still humans. And so like absurd, funny Mm. things still happen. (laughs) Ridiculous stuff still goes on in our lives. And being able to like hold your sense of humor alongside those things is I, I think just a very full human experience. And I have a pretty good amount of faith in Crossley's ability to capture it. This also, I think, has book clubby kinds of potential. Those the big celebrity book clubs don't often pick nonfiction, mm, but there's right. there's a lot to talk about here. Like you can feel mm. what the questions in the publisher written book club guide are going to be for this. Yeah. Um, she'll give a great interview. The topic is a tough sell. I think the upside on Kelly Link is potentially higher than the upside on this. Just for like, if a big novel does a thing like what that novel could do, it will really, really go places. So I'm going to carry Kelly Link through, but I do think we're going to see a lot about Sloan Crossley in February. So what did you say? Book of Love? Book of Love. Yeah, Book of Love's coming through. But I'm going to be reading Griefus for People for sure. Yeah, I will be listening to Griefus for People. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I guess I was thinking of Living Remedy. That was another one that did, you know, I think it had le- longer legs. We um, we that liked the book. Bummer. It wasn't yeah. it, it wasn't an A read for us, 
one of the things about it was it was so unrelentingly grim. Nicole Chung is many. Uh, Nicole Chung is many things. Funny isn't one of them. Um, and to quote the great Dolly Parton and Steel Magnolia's <laughs> "Laughter through tears is my favorite emotion." <laughs> you need, I, I think, you need a little of that. Unless you're I Joan so Didion, too. and then you just write sentences so sharp and cutting that you don't know what to do but sub- succumb uh, to them. Um, so I think this may have a little bit. You know, you need you need the sweet and the sour. Mm-hmm. Um, this may have a little bit of comic, if not comic relief, at least a dark levity. Um, that yeah, can, that can distinguish something. Yeah, from I just think really being sad. Yeah, I think there's some real potential, and this seems to be in the cultural water. Like maybe this is a mini, like a micro trend as we come yeah. out of COVID as well, when so many of us were grappling with loss and grief. Of different kinds, but I mean, speaking of Shit's Creek, Dan Levy has a recent Netflix movie called Good Grief about a man whose yes. whose husband dies suddenly. I watched it. It's sweet. It's funny. It's sad. It kind of grapples with the whole range of emotions that we experience and how life does continue on and continue to be absurd in the ways that human life is, even while you're holding all of this stuff. I think we're gonna we will see some conversation about this, um, and I'm looking forward to yeah. I will I'll do this on audio as well. But yeah, Kelly Link will continue on here. But grief is for people a, a strong contender. One of the funnier bookish related, um, it's a very small angle on that. Uh, Dan Levy is that mm. his so I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the main character his husband I guess dies early and it's about yes. him really and his husband is like a. J.K. Rowling-esque best-selling yeah, fancy right. writer who gets killed in a car crash like in the that's first right. five minutes. It's a funny detail. I was like, oh, I was like that's a really funny, funny <laughs> detail. Um, not to, to throw shade, but it was like, I was like, oh, wait, that they're kind of like a, you know, a Rick Reardon, J.K. Mm-hmm. Rowling, middle mm-hmm. grade-ish up. Oh, they just got smashed. Yeah. And the starlet who plays like Harriet Potter or whatever the character's real real name is. happening, but I I don't think so. Yeah, she's like grown up and gotten hot and no one knows what to do with it. (laughs) Yeah, it was just so strange. It was like, we're going to make this person who gets nailed by an ambulance on Christmas Eve a best-selling middle grade (laughs) fantasy writer. It's like so random. I was trying to uh, You got to do something. It was funny. Yeah. You got to do something and to afford those amazing apartments. Yes. Um, anyway, yes. secondary that we can talk about that some other time. Okay, this this I know I picked. I'm very excited to read this personally. I have pre-ordered it. A Love Song for Ricky Wilde by Tia mm-hmm. Williams. It's an enchanting love story um, set in, uh, Is it, it says about the history, art, and the magic of Harlem. It seems like there oh, is some perfect. speculative fiction place going back and forth in time to the Harlem Renaissance, back or forward, I don't really know. I kind of am expecting some kind of sliding doors-ish spec fic where it's very light. We're not going to get a whole magical system of like, you know, some elf pulling you through a portal so you have to redo things. <laughs> Amazing, um, this is gonna This is going to be like, you get on the two train and you wake up, and you get off the two train in Harlem in 1928, and you're wearing some sick, sick clothes. You know, jazz is coming out, and then you go back. I don't know. It's like that kind of... That's my guess. I don't. Really I want that to exist now. If that's not what this book turns out to be, we need yeah, to like okay. you, commission you, somebody to make this happen. <laughs> yeah, but I'm looking great. forward to this. Me too. Um, seven days in June. A lot of people were liked. Um, I don't think I read this. I don't remember writing this, but I'm a sucker for the Harlem Renaissance. Um, I'm liking what the packaging is telling me because it's it's screaming some commercially romance vibe, but has a certain sort of metallic sheen. That suggests maybe it's not that simple, which I'm here for. Uh, that's mm-hmm, kind of my mm-hmm. flavor. 
So a love song for Ricky Wilde. I guess I'm kind of expecting this get picked for some of the one of the bigger oh, book clubs, but maybe yeah. I'm wrong about that. No, I think that's a great. Those are good antenna to have up. I think there's real potential for that. And also, like uh, for you personally, hard to imagine things that go more to the center of the wheelhouse than a love story no. set during the Unless Harlem Zora Hurston was the elf that pulled you into the magical <laughs> portal, that would be the only way. To, to All right, it. now we need to call Colson Whitehead. Here is the next idea. Yeah, right. Uh, so it's about Zora Neale Hurston and sliding doors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this will do very well. I'm also really looking forward to it. Since it is a love story and we're not sure if it's capital R romance. Ah, I think there you go. Yes, the, great, call. Go, great call. That makes the marketing of it broader tricky. in a way that will reach, you know, potentially bigger audiences, but also tricky if you are trying to sell it to the romance community and romance is looking for, you know, the happily ever after and, and to, mm-hmm. to ring the bells of those different tropes that need to appear for a book to really feel like a romance book. I don't think of Tia Williams as a capital R romance writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is more sort of like upmarket mainstream uh, love story kind of stuff. I still think Kelly Link really has potential here. So I'm going to carry the book of love forward for another round, but I will not be surprised if I'm wrong and love song for Ricky Wilde, uh, you know, outperforms it in the realities of February. And I would also be delighted by that. I would love to be wrong in that way and to see uh, Tia Williams really get a moment. I think the thing we're circling with Book of Love right now is it has four quadrant potential. It yes. could sell. It's not going to sell like the wind, but it could sell if it. It could sell very well. It could be the kind of book that people fall in love with, and that the critics and people like us who are connoisseurs, sommeliers of this, you know, call it what you will, also find something there for them. It's recommendable. Like it has, it has the potential to be yeah, all and, four of those things. And Link is such. A good technician. She's so yes. good at her craft. The craftspeople are ready to love this book. Yes. They are. And, they just and she's been you know, nominated for awards and recognized yeah. for the quality of the craft before. But like to have that potential to move over into commercial success as mm-hmm. well. Like Very few people get famous writing short stories. She writes some of the ones that are among the best. If you can translate that into a novel... She can write the kind of, like, that will be the kind of book that people will love, and it will be good, and it will sell. Um, And and it may sell for a very long time. Yeah, I think you're talking right. Four quadrants. She could be nominated for awards for it. Um, And then when you win a big award for a novel and not a collection of short stories, it's like, oh, right, this is really going places. We will see this go places. Maybe it'll get picked up for an adaptation, where often when short story collections win, it's like, well, thank God someone recognized how good that short story collection is, because the only recognition a short story writer gets is an award. They're not getting commercial success. In uh, A Love Song for Ricky Wilde, the two main characters are a free-spirited florist and an enigmatic musician. Are there any dour florists? Every florist I ever encounter in books are free-spirited. I just need this to be a corrective to the florist character in that Colleen Hoover book that we read. Like, well, please help yeah. us, too. You know what? In the town, Pete Postlewaite um, plays a mob boss whose front is a floral shop. So I stand corrected to myself. Not all florists are free-spirited. Oh, um, yeah. And there's that florist in... Uh, Six feet under the like the yeah, Russian guy right. that the mom dates. Yeah, he is very dour. 
Hmm. Okay. So there's two ways to be. You could be free spirit or dour. Those are the two options for florists um, in popular <laughs> culture. Uh, stay tuned for um, Rebecca's presentations at the Northeastern Modern Language. <laughs> Actually, you'd be in the the Atlantic uh, Mid Atlantic Modern Language Association. I'll start panel, working on representations my deck. of the floral arts in modern popular culture. Um, Ooh, a, a lot of potential for Nancy there. Myers kitchens yeah. there. Yeah. There's there's um. Uh, Steminist. There we go. Steminist inquiry. Um, Splinters by Leslie Jameson is up next. Uh, Another kind of love story. Also a micro trend of elegies for marriages plus new kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Put them in with Kate Zimbrino, Heidi Julevitz, Maggie Smith of poets and or essayist poets um, living and teaching, having kids and their marriages and falling apart and then writing about it. Um, this, I think, has the potential to be the Regina George of this particular <laughs> clique. Um, Splinters by Leslie Jameson. Delightful. What more should I say about this? <laughs> oh, I'm just going to need a minute to recover from mixing Leslie Jameson with Mean Girls. I'm sure that is there the first go. time that's been done yeah, in it's, the it's, history it's, of literary it's ironical. She seems like a very lovely person who writes devastating books. <laughs> I think she would probably be delighted by that comparison. Who does not want to be the Regina George of their clique? Um, I also think this has some breakout potential. Leslie Jameson, very well-loved among literary readers. But there is nothing more accessible than a story about the complexities of relationships and family. (laughs) And if she's going to have a big breakout moment, I think this will be it. Um, Nonfiction, general, almost always a harder sell than mm-hmm. fiction. She'll be, and sh- I'm sure she'll do a ton of interviews. I think the edge here is still Kelly Link because man, those four quadrants. But Splinters yeah. might be my personal most anticipated book. I, of February. I agree. I agree. Let's play a micro round because we got two similar-ish ones here. If you had to pick between Grief is for People and Splinters, which way are you going? Oh, Splinters. Just There's just no holding for, a candle not for to you, Leslie just Jameson. A mini. The I think sad Sloan Crossley book, uh, of the of the of the round. Oh, is it book? Um, hmm. Probably Sloan Crossley. I think C- Crossley has funny. wider appeal. She's funny. You don't have to work for a Sloan Crossley read, and Leslie Jameson does sometimes ask readers to work in a way I really appreciate. But is not a casual. You're not having a casual experience with Leslie Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, that's fair. You're like, your experience is, do I need to change my life? That's how, that's how you come out of the ledge. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, Hold maybe on. you need to rethink how you think about this whole thing, like all the way less around. less of how I am me and more of how I am not me. Is how <laughs> the uh, next week on the Book Riot podcast, the top 10 books most likely to give you existential crises. <laughs> <laughs> Four of them are by Leslie Davison. <laughs> yeah. 10 books to make you pull a full draper and drive in a car and never come back to your life. Um, all right. Our last pick, The uh, excuse me, I keep wanting to say The Wandering Stars. It is not. It's Wandering mm. Stars by Tommy Orange, February 27th. A follow-up, quiet as it's kept, to... Not a follow-up. Uh, uh, it's in, is it a sequel? Is it in the same world? I don't really know. I, it must be a prequel, because the events of this happened well before they're there. I'm not really sure. But anyway, set in 1864, there is a massacre. Um, and the characters are dealing with it. And a generation later, you get some people all the way into the present. So it has a multi-generational reaction to the specific traumatic event. Um, 
fascinating timing, I have mm-hmm. to say, for this to come out mm-hmm. in the run-up to Killers of the Flower Moon being one of, if not the most heralded work focused on especially atrocities against Native American people. Um, Dance of the Wolves, the most lauded um, work, but let's put that to the side because there's that, that doesn't get <laughs> yes. made. Let's now. put that to the side. Um, <laughs> also, I think in you have to, I think in the terms of reservation dogs and other yeah, work yeah. happening among Native writers, um, fascinating to see. I love they're there. I think this has the potential to be a signal work. Um, I'm also thinking today, and Scott Mamaday passed away yesterday. Mm. One of the, you know, one of the real leading lights of American letters of the last hundred years, um, uh, *Housemaid of Dawn*, uh, a moving book. So I, I, I want this to be good. I think it will be good. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Second novels, you know, you and I have talked about. If you read three books, they're one of your authors. If your sophomore novel can be great, you're in elite company after yes. writing a first book. Um, so I think there's a real chance for Tommy Orange had a great rookie season. He's put in a great position. He has all the tools. Um, whether or not it sells, I almost don't care about as much because that can be fickle. Um, but I'm really looking to see what he does to stretch his legs next. And I think, uh, you know, you might be feeling me. I feel like we're on the precipice of a forever author here potentially Mm, and that's exciting yes yeah that is exciting i think this has a tough mountain to climb as an it book because it is connected to uh they're there and you know like i'm gonna go back and reread they're there and refresh my memory on you know what all those details are before i pick this up i want tommy orange to be marketed more commercially like i want these books Mm. to have catchier they need catchier titles and more commercial covers. He's not hard to read. Like, this is a literary writer. He writes very well. This will probably be nominated for stuff, and it should be. Yeah. I hope it is well-reviewed. But, like, for all of those reasons that you just laid out, we have this huge awareness and an interest in really reevaluating history. And also there's massive tension around the fact that Killers of the Flower Moon is the big piece of work doing that right now because the book is written by a white man. The movie is made primarily by white people. There are Native actors in it and then all kinds of stories from all over the spectrum of response about how people felt about the Native representation both in the film and the way that Scorsese presented those events and the pain felt by Native people. So like in the appetite for own voices this should really really appeal and tommy orange i think could be huge and should be huge but the books need to be presented as more commercial um in order for there, that to happen did sell very well yeah i have to say i, mean, I want it again it wasn't stephen king but it sold extremely yes and i want that to continue i want him to be household name i think kelly link has the edge here for this mm-hmm. month um, for all the reasons that we already talked about, four quadrants, and and just as you were saying, I don't know if this will sell, and I'm not, I kind of don't even care. Like it needs to sell to ring the fourth quadrant. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I do care for me. Uh, oh for yes, his career yeah, for, for and his him. profile, right? For him, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I just, 
I want to see him become very big. I would like to be doing this segment in a couple years when his third book comes out and being like, yeah, mm. those first two were huge successes and look like the publisher really dialed it in now. Like the literary folks are going to pay attention to Tommy Orange, at least right now, because of how great they're there was to like, let's branch out and start grabbing those mainstreamy readers, like position Tommy Orange so that Reese is going to pick him, position him so that somebody is going to want to buy these books and adapt them and like make a really big deal out of this writer and the stories that he tells and the voice and the perspective that he brings. So Kelly Link is my winner for this month of the It Book Knockout Rounds. Would love to see Wandering Stars take it. I would, I, this is another one where I'd be delighted to be wrong about Kelly Link yeah. winning the month. It would be just fantastic um, to show up here in March and be like, wow, Tommy Orange really ran away with February. That would be great. Um, but in the meantime, like, tell your friends about how good Tommy Orange is and let's get those we'll books. Pick up you know. there, there. Yeah. yeah get we them talked positioned. on the Intuitionist episode about um, what, we, what we talk about when we talk about debut novelists. I guess signal stuff you can see this is your first novel one of the things is is orchestrating positioning a bunch of characters and points of view in times and places mm-hmm. very hard to do tommy orange did it masterfully out the jump off the jump yes. and they're there and he's going to do it looks like he's trying to do a similar thing in wandering stars that's one of the things about they're there that made I and mean, people say it doesn't seem like a debut that's i think that's what they're talking about when margaret atwood mm-hmm. writes something, write something mm-hmm. like that it's like there's a i guess a director's sense of how to orient your reader in time and space when there's a lot going on across times and spaces. That's extraordinarily difficult to do. I'm reading something right now that's trying to do that and not doing it very well. Me too. The appreciation we may be reading this. Uh-huh. I suspect uh, we are. Yeah, and it gives me real appreciation. And it's the kind of thing you don't notice it. You're not like, wow, I really could tell we were moving from this location to this location and going on because the point is you can't tell that you shouldn't you don't right. know that there could be friction there. Um, and it's one of those abilities that kind of disappears if done correctly, and you find yourself in the in the time and space and in, with those characters. But if done poorly, you feel the jangliness of mm-hmm. um, trying to get your bags from one plane to another and uh, <laughs> moving moving across uh, locations. So anyway, that's that gives me and and maybe by the same token gives me pause for Kelly Link going from short stories to a six hundred and forty page. Yeah. That's a big swing. It is a big, big swing. swing. It's a lot of swings. It's a swing set. It's a swing <laughs> dancing. There's just a lot of swing. There's a lot going to be happening in a Kelly Link novel that's 640 pages. I'm there excited, might be swing dancing on a swing set in a Kelly yeah, Link book. That, would, that yeah. would make a, a ton of sense to me. But all told, an extremely exciting February, yes. I would say. Yeah. I am ready to make February happen. January has been very sleepy. Let's get into it. Yeah. All right. So thank you all so much for listening. You can shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. We'll give some feedback, sign up for the newsletter, check out the Patreon, first edition, Rebecca's new Better Living Through Books newsletter. All the things will be in the links in the links that are included in the show notes on your podcast player. Or if you want to go old school style, um, URL, bookriot.com slash listen, and you can get to the Book Riot yeah. page there. Rebecca, I'll read? just... Thank you. I want to give a quick teaser to folks. If you're on the fence about signing up for our terrific podcast newsletter, Jeff and I had one of our all-time exchanges yesterday in one of the best puns he's ever dropped. And y'all oh, listen to this show. Oh, we're a special shout-out to me. Oh, I'm just yeah, going to sit here and we're gonna, my chest out. Okay. Yeah, just, you know, fluff up your feathers for a second. 
uh, you knew when you said yeah, this thing to me yesterday that it was an all timer. I'm going to screenshot it. We're going to put it in the podcast newsletter so you can see like this is not just what happens on the show. These puns are unrehearsed and they happen often. <laughs> The rare, I believe, quadruple entendre. You just, you know, you just have to let it happen. Really next level Jeff work, and I've seen a lot of Jeff work in twelve years. (laughs) So that's that's the kind of bonus content that you get when you sign up for the podcast newsletter. I don't need Academy Awards. I don't need um, Dayton Literary Prizes. All I need is every now and again to be like, oh my God, that was fast. <laughs> That's all I need. I'm, I'm floating on air for a week. Uh, it was one of those, like, that just came out of you fully formed with, like, no prep time, and it was really amazing. So, uh, well, thanks yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah, that is a good... I was like, I, I didn't think of that, but that's the kind of thing we should put in there, especially mm-hmm. when it's very nice and flattering to me. That's especially welcome. Um, all right. Well, I'll talk to you all later. Okay. Have a good one. Bye.